0: The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30 or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Uh, well, as I prayed uh, this past week, uh, we had a tremendous week here. We had our Unleashed Mission Camp. Yeah! Yeah! <clears throat> It was exciting, and for those of you who are not aware of Unleashed Mission Camp it is, it was basically four different nights here in the auditorium where we had this, this whole camp where we had over 300, I think in 37 teenagers all gathered together for the week with 67 adults who sacrificed their entire week uh, to care for those teenagers, all together, not just worshiping God and learning about God, but also serving God throughout the city. And it was amazing, and every night now, we had a service here. We had dozens of students come forward asking to receive Jesus as their Lord and personal Savior, which is an amazing thing to celebrate. Yes, there were so many students who, who began their journey with Jesus during this camp this past week. And, and one of the things that they were being taught and learning is the fact how Jesus purifies us and how we can live as pure people because of the work of Jesus. And that same message that they were taught, that same thing that was explained to them, is what we're going to be looking at today in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 18-25. to 25. See, because we've been going through a series looking at I am because he is, and today the, con- the, the topic of conversation will be I am purified because Jesus is pure. But uh, before we unpack the passage and before we even read the passage, I need to tell you guys of a time that I realized I needed to be purified. And the story and the, me telling you of this is going to first require for me to tell you something that's going to make me not that popular with many of you. And, or at least sometimes it's one of the things that my wife says, I just, I just don't understand. And so basically, I am born and raised here in South Florida. I'm a, I'm a Hialeah boy. Yeah, that's right. Give it up for Hialeah. Yeah, 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 Hialeah. You know, the city of progress, right? And uh, <laughs> what a slogan. <laughs> we're not there yet. We're, pro- <laughs> we're progressing. Uh, but. Uh, So, but even though being raised here in Hialeah, uh, well, in Hialeah, I I have grown up really to dislike the beach. Yeah, that's right. I'm a beach hater. Yeah, that's right. I I don't like the beach. I hate it. Some of you are ready. I told you we should have gone to the other church. Uh, (laughs) This guy hates the beach. How does he hate it? But, you know, for me, the beach is not a place where, where I really enjoy or relax because the beach has so many things that I can't stand. You know, the beach is sunny. The beach is sandy. The beach is salty. The beach is sticky. You know, the beach. The beach is all these different things. It's stressful when you have kids. Uh, the beach is, in a lot of ways, it's ah, uh, it just uh, it just bothers me. And there's sharks in there. There's seaweed. It smells bad. Everyone's trying to sell you something. You just lay there, uh, sweating the whole time. You have to carry all this stuff to the beach. You're moving there for a few hours to go sweat there. I don't like it. It's, it is what it is. Uh, but. You know, in a lot of conversations with my wife who loves the beach, my wife, one of the reasons why she moved here before she even met me was so she could be closer to the beach. And then she married the one guy lingering around South Florida who was like, I hate the beach. And, uh, but but we, we've, her and I have spent many times, like a lot of time, just talking about like, man, what is it that will cause this? And my wife, she's a, she's a psychology major, so she kind of lays me down. and like, all right, so tell me of the hardest times that you had at the beach. And one of the stories that always comes up is that when I was seven years old, at, at the age of seven, my grandparents, my abuela and my abuelo, they had this obsession with the beach. See, because when I was a kid, we didn't have Netflix. When I was a kid, we didn't have YouTube. You couldn't just park a child in front of a device. You had to take them somewhere to get tired. And the place they would take us was the beach. And we would go there for up to eight hours on some days. And, uh, and they would take us every single weekend as a place for them to relax while we just entertained ourselves at the beach. And uh, there was this one particular time when I was seven years old, And I was, we were at the beach, and we were, by that point, we had been there for almost six hours. Oh, it was one of those days. And I'm in the water playing, and at seven years old, I see something black that looked like Play-Doh floating through the water. Oh, yeah, you already know. I was like, oh, yeah. It's not what you think. It's something else. Uh, And so, (laughs) for those of you who are like, oh, yeah, I know what that was. I feel bad for you, this was something different. Uh, So this black thing floating at the top of the beach was kind of there and I thought it was Play-Doh and I was like, oh wow, oh wow, and I grabbed it and it was black tar. And for those of you who spent a lot of time on my beach, uh, you would even know even a few years ago we had a lot of black tar that would float around. And so I grabbed this black tar and immediately I see that it kind of smears on my skin I was like, oh, wow, how cool is this? And at seven years old, you don't know what it is. And I was like, oh, man, this is so cool. And I'm passing it from hand to hand. And I'm realizing my hands are becoming darker and darker every time. And in my mind, I thought, oh, am I? Like, gonna be a superhero, like Venom? For those of you who don't know, in Spider-Man, there's this one superhero that it starts off as like a black tar-y thing, and then it spreads throughout the, all of Spider-Man's body, and he becomes this black Spider-Man who's doing all this super cool stuff. And I'm thinking, this is my chance to be Venom. So I grabbed the tar, and I began to rub it. Oh yeah, you feel it! I began to rub that bad boy all over my arm, on my face. And I'm putting it everywhere, around the leg, and I'm just, all right, I'm a superhero now, right? And I'm just covered in this disgusting black tar. And after a few minutes, I start realizing, hold up, I'm gonna turn it into a superhero. And I go back into the water and I try to wash it at this point my hands are just covered in it. So everywhere I touch, I'm actually spreading it more. And as I push it, it's just going deeper and I'm just sitting there. <gasps> I begin to panic realizing I'm going to always look like this. This is it. <laughs> I'm going to be the tar boy. No. And so what did I do? I immediately I look around for my abuela. She was there with covered in iodine or whatever it was and coconut oil, just baking herself like a like a turkey in an oven. And and so, which for those of you who remember those days of iodine, wasn't that just crazy? We were covering ourselves with grease to get more sun. What were we doing? My gosh, like just like food, but whatever. So I remember seeing her, and I just run up to her, ah, just abuela, mira, ah, ah, mira, mira me, mira Right, look at me, look at me. And she immediately she takes off the thing. She had one of those like uh, aluminum things that will get more sun on her. She throws it. She sees me, and the pandemonium begins. She says every kind of word that we cannot say at church, all in Spanish. She even pulled some out in English, and she was freaking out as she sat here and looking at her son saying, what? Ah, what's happened here? And so she did like any other Cuban grandmother would do. She ran to her bag. She opened her bag. She stuck her hand in that bag. And let me pause here. You see, because when you go to the beach, you take with you the things that you feel like are the most important things in the house. You leave your house like if the place is on fire, right? You grab what you can, right? A toy, a bag, a book, and a towel. <laughs> Whatever you take with you to the beach, you've taken it because it is the most important thing to have at the beach. And this woman, this Cuban woman, Hispanic, todo que la, Right? This woman reached in her bag and she pulled out this. (laughs) And she pulled that bad boy out. And she was like, oh, I brought this for this. (laughs) I knew this was going to happen. Boy, I knew. Everyone thought it was crazy. And she pulls this bad boy out, that same little ugly jar. It was a little rusted on top. and so <laughs> I love how so many of you guys understand. And there's some of you like, why would she bring Vicks up?" No one knows. <laughs> Nobody knows to this day. I was telling her the story over the phone this week. I'm like, "Well, do you remember that? And she's like, yeah, duh. Why wouldn't you do that? You should have some in your pocket right now. I was like, you're crazy, lady. And so um, <laughs> she's going to listen to the sermon and hear you guys laughing and be so angry at me. But it's okay. Uh, you'll see me bruised up next week. Now, um, so she brought this thing out, and she sits me down in the sand, and she's continuing with her, with her verbal language and her enjoyment over the situation, and she begins to cover me in Vic Vaporub on the beach, a thousand degrees on the beach. She's covering me in this stuff. She grabs this towel, and she begins to, he he, just scraping this tar off my body, off my neck, my back, my hair, everywhere I had it. And here's the craziest part of this. It worked. (laughs) Like, it was coming off. And I smelled so good. It was just, I remember sitting there like, it's working. And and she was purifying me. And she was taking it off my body. And it hurt so much. Oh, there was hair being ripped off. There was just all this stuff taking place. and, And she cleaned me. And she felt so proud, ooh, the whole day it was all about, I told you, I told you, it does everything, it does everything. <laughs> but, uh, but this wasn't the only time in my life where, where I felt unpure, where I felt in need of being cleaned, where I felt dirty. Uh, this was one of the many times. As a matter of fact, you know, this was just one of the times where it was involving tar. But that tar, as hard as it was to take off, as ridiculous as the whole story was, That tar, I feel like, honestly, is such a beautiful picture for the passage what we're going to be looking at today. See, because the reality is when you read the scriptures, when you read God's word, what you find is this very explicit language towards something we as Christians, we call sin. See, when the Bible speaks of sin, it speaks of it very similar to that kind of ocean tar. This thing that once it gets on you, there's really no removing it on your own efforts this thing that once it gets on you and you pursue to take it off, what you end up doing is you just make a bigger mess along the way. And today, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, we're gonna be focusing our attention on how the reality is, one of the identities we get to have because of Jesus is that I am purified because he is pure. And Jesus' work on the cross to make us pure, and I know many of us in this room, like myself, we have made decisions throughout the course of our life. We have done things in our life that, if we were to say, I am a pure person, you would go ahead and say, yeah, right. You should have seen me last night at that that one place. You should have heard that conversation. You should have seen the things I thought about. You should have seen the things that have been on my phone. You should have seen You wanna tell me I'm pure? I know for many of us here, we carry this guilt, we carry this belief based off mistakes that we have done and we feel like we're walking around covered in tar. And my hope for you is that when you leave here today, my hope for you that as you go to your cars, as you go back to your regular lives, that you will leave here with a deeper value for the gospel. A deeper value for the work that Jesus has done to purify us because he himself is pure. My abuela was the only one capable of taking off this tar because my abuela was the one who had no tar on her. And so we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And we're going to read this passage. And then after reading it, we're going to start to unpack it a little bit. Let me go ahead and read this for us. Starting off in verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed. Another word for this is rescued. So we can even read it like this. Knowing that you were rescued from the fertile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not You weren't rescued with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that, a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of who? You. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth of for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like a flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The way that Peter, the apostle who wrote this, The way that he begins verse 18 is remarkable. He begins verse 18 by drawing our attention to something huge. He tells us that you were ransomed, you were rescued, not with gold, not with silver, but with something more valuable. In this day and age, the most valuable thing was silver and gold. The thing with highest importance, the thing that only ru- uh, rulers would have was silver and gold. It was so precious to these people. And so that if one of the king's children were ever taken from him, what the king would do is he would dump out all his silver and gold to get his child back. And what Peter is doing is he is allowing us to see it with the same kind of perspective. That the king, the father, God the father, that our sin created separation between himself and us. And that there had to be a payment, an exchange, an exchange had to be given so that we can now be like this. And what this passage is saying is that there was something given far greater than silver, far greater than gold. That the payment was the blood of Christ. That Christ, his blood, sacrifice on the cross, that Christ, his sacrifice given up for us was sufficient to pay to purify our souls. It was sufficient to pay to allow us to experience freedom. And there's a reason for that. Look back down at verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ like that, of a lamb without a blemish or spot. What that just told us is because he is pure, no blemish, no spot, no sin, no wickedness, no issues, he had the capacity to provide our, making us purified. And there's some of you who you don't believe that. There's some of you who are like, there's no way Jesus can purify my heart. There's no way Jesus can make me pure before the Father. There's no way Jesus can clear what's been messed up in me. There's no way to wash this tar off. And you're wrong. It's the promise of the scriptures. The promise of the scriptures is that you are so loved by God That he took the most prized possession that the father had, which was his son, Christ, and put him as the payment for your sin. And there's a beauty to that. Because at the cross, what we see is something extraordinary. It's one of the only places in all of history at the cross that we see two things in one place. First thing we see at the cross is we see God's intense love for people. We see just how intense his love is for you and me. So much so that he would say, there's a payment, I'm paying it. Sending his son Jesus to take the punishment that you and I deserve. And that's one thing we see, and we talk about that so much. We hear it all the time, and in this church, we are a gospel-centered church. And we rave about that kind of love. Sometimes we forget the second thing we see at the cross. The second thing we see at the cross is God's hate. We see God's extreme, passionate hate towards sin. We see at the cross his love for people, but we also see just how much he hates sin. That Jesus experiences the brutal, punishment the very wrath of the father landing upon him over his disliking towards sin and in this one moment in history that is documented in all history jesus on the cross you are shown how much god loves people but also how much he hates your sin and you hear that and you're like yo why What would this massive being, this massive creator, the one who has formulated all of the world, the one with infinite wisdom, the one with all capacity, the one who is greater than anything else, why would he be offended by my sin? See, sometimes we all fall into that place, myself included, because we lose sight of what sin is. See, sin is something so much greater than just, oh, I messed up uh <laughs> that's how teenagers act uh that's my teen but sin <laughs> teens get so offended when i do that but it's true that's how you act uh but sin <laughs> sin is you doing something that we all hate when it's done to us you see for those of you parents of teenagers isn't it the best when you tell your kid something they should do oh my gosh when you say to them i want your bed to look like this, and they say, no, actually, the bed's gonna look like this. Or when you tell your your teenager, hey, this is what I want you to do and how I want you to carry it out, and they say, actually, mom or dad, I don't think you know what you're talking about. Isn't it the best when they look at you like you don't know what you're talking about? Oh, what a joy. It's the joy of parenting to be, to, they're making macaroni and cheese, and you're like, no, you're supposed to use water, they're like, no, <laughs> you only use milk, mom. No, isn't it awesome? When you tell them how to match their clothes, and they're like, no, no, brown and black, like this, goes together. Listen, the, one of the most offensive parts as parents, is when we look at our, our, our child, and they treat us like we were just born, They treat us like we're idiots. They treat us like we don't know anything. And how many times have you said, I wasn't born at the mañana. (laughs) Right? I wasn't born this morning. I know what's going on here. That's what we're doing with God when we sin. When we look at God with our sexuality and we say, "Yep, it's 2019. Get with the program. When we look at God with all the different struggles that we may have, When we look at God when it comes to things like drugs, when we look at God when it comes to things like loving each other, when we look at God and say, this is how I deal with my money, you need to deal with yours in your own way. Stay out of my bank account, God. (laughs) When we look at God and say, and live a life of sin, what you are doing is you are living a life where you believe you are right and he is wrong. He has given us his wisdom. He has given us his advice on our marriage. He has allowed for us to know how we should handle our bodies. He has given us the freedom to know how to handle money and finances. He has given us the opportunity to know how hard we should work. And when we step out of what God says, this is how you should live, it's sin. And you are saying, God, get off your throne and let me sit up there. I'll dictate morality, I'll dictate what's right and wrong. I have been around for 30, 40 plus years, I know more than you. It's foolish. The scriptures actually call it stupid to assume that we can say I know more than God. And that is the offense of sin. Your action is saying you know more than him. And when you look at it from that perspective, you can understand why there will be such a in that. And I know as I'm talking about this, it can almost seem like, yo, oy. Oh, I thought he was going to tell us about how many kids got saved and a funny story about camp. And oy, why did I come today? I thought we were going to baptize people, eat a donut, coffee. But you have to hear the truth. I would be a liar to you. If all I gave you was hugs and muffins here and not told you, you need to repent of your sin. You must repent. You are covered in tar. You are covered in gunk. And it's only getting worse the more you try and take it off yourself. You need him. But you're not alone. You see, there's this guy named the Apostle Paul. It's a big deal in the Christian church. For those of you who don't know him. He wrote majority majority of the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. The Apostle Paul was one of the greatest teachers of all time. The Apostle Paul in his conversion when he went from not being a Christian to now being a Christian before even knowing Jesus, the Apostle Paul was known to be the one who had put the rubber stamp on killing thousands of Christians. This man was brutal. And his conversion was a result of an experience that he had that while on a horse, walking on a horse, all of a sudden, Jesus appears. After being dead for years, he appears before him. And the Apostle Paul is blinded by this moment, and he has this huge conversion moment, and he goes from being a murderer of, a Christi- of the Christians to being the leader. Imagine how hard it was for the first Christians to catch that. Oh, wait, bro, are you, su- wait, you sure, man? <laughs> Did you not do something to this coffee? <laughs> like, like, are you sure you invited this at that's not poison, man? Um... I would not believe one thing that came out of his mouth. But in that experience, he began to live a life that was deeming appropriate to God. He loved God. He taught about Jesus. He served Jesus. He helped others grow in their their appreciation of Jesus. It was remarkable what happened in this man's life. At one point, he uses himself as an example. He said, hey, listen, you guys need an example of who to follow to to learn and be more like Jesus? Follow me. Oye, oh, yeah. you better got something to you if you're going to be telling people, hey, look towards my example. But his need for continuous purification, his need for Jesus to constantly purify him, was still very real in his life. Let me draw your attention to Romans chapter 7, verses 15, where he talks about this. Look at this. Can't you relate to this? Verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not know what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law and that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. Look at verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. Can't you relate to that? The level of guilt that he carried, the level of shame that he carried over reoccurring sin and reoccurring struggles with his sin. Can't you sympathize with that? Can't you look at that and be like, I get it. There's things I wanna do for God, There's ways I want to live for God. I don't want to live in an offense to God. I'm tired of putting the tar on me, but I can't stop putting it on me. That guilt needs to be met with something. And if I had the time, I will continue reading for what Paul talks about. But he talks about that guilt and that, real, that realization of who he really is being met with something greater than it being met with belief, being met with encouragement from knowing who Christ is, being met with the beauty of God's ability to purify him because he himself is pure. What you need to understand, Christian, that if you find yourself in this place of massive guilt, of massive regret, of feeling like, man, I know God is done with me. Because here's the funny story about that tar story. When we were done, I was super excited, I felt very mentally, I felt great, I smelled phenomenal. For those of you looking for a new uh, lotion, Vicks Babalu, that's the one right there, right? Vicks Vaporub. But here's a funny thing. An hour later, I did it again. (laughs) (laughs) You should have heard what my abuela said. Boy, I still remember. You know, there's that reality that as Jesus purifies us, we're so foolish we go back right into it. And we sometimes don't believe that God is good enough, that God is loving enough to help us. But what we have to understand, a purification process, a lot of times it hurts. A lot of times it's hard. So let me give you some examples from Paul. Paul. See, the Apostle Paul, he had friends that turned their back on him. The Apostle Paul, there was moments in his life where he was lied against. The Apostle Paul, actually in 1 Corinthians, he talks about this one thing in his life. that He calls it a thorn in his back. Like a, it felt like something was just stabbing him. right? And no one really knows what he was talking about. It could have been emotional. It could have been something spiritual. It could have been an actual thorn in his body. It could have been a child. Because sometimes, oh my gosh, don't they feel like that? right? It could have been so many different things. No one really knows what he was talking about. But he says this. I have prayed three different times. And God has not removed it. See, sometimes in our pursuit to be pure, sometimes in our pursuit for life, we don't realize that purification it hurts. The scrubbing of that towel to take that tar off removed hair, removed layers of skin, removed so much. <laughs> and it hurt. Let me draw your attention to this, this picture that I feel like it just, it just captures so well the picture of being purified by Christ. See, because this is a statue that hangs in my office, and I wish I had time to tell you the significance of it all, but this is you. This is you, Christian. The agony of having a relationship stripped off you for the sake of purifying you. The agony of a job being removed from you. The agony of maybe some money being removed from you for the sake of purifying you. The agony of some form of illness coming into your life for the sake of purifying you. The torturous feel of being purified is horrible. And I say this as somebody who has experienced massive pieces of tar removed from my soul. I'm not talking to somebody who's just speaking theory I see this, I see Angel Garcia, and man it hurts. It hurts so bad a few years ago when when this started really taking place. But it's worth it. The joy of growing, the joy of a deeper understanding of who he is, the joy of being able to live in a pure matter, the joy of living as God has called me towards, the joy of that. Just helps you forget about the pain of it. You know, in, in the movie Narnia, or the book Narnia, there's a this, there's this scene where there's this boy that he takes on the skin of a dragon in some ways. And, you know, the main character who's supposed to resemble God, this huge, ferocious lion, at one point he comes to that boy who's taken on the skin of a dragon, and the lion grabs his claws and begins to just shred that skin off that boy. And when you watch it in the movie, you're like, oh, this is crazy, what's happening? And the boy is in this agony as he's having parts of his flesh being torn off for the sake of purifying him. What is it that God's trying to take off of you to purify you? What is he trying to remove from you to remove that tar that you've allowed to come onto you? And here's the interesting thing about this passage. This passage tells us that that purifying is seen, there's some proof to it. It tells us in verse 22 that that work that Jesus does in our lives, the work that Jesus did at the cross to come into our lives and help us be purified because he is pure, that that work has some evidence to it. And the evidence is seen in verse 22. Look at this, it's so interesting. Having purified your, your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The greatest proof of God's work in your life is seen in, the, in your capacity to love others. It's seen in your capacity to sacrifice for others. It's seen in your ability to be able to say, them over me. I will give of my time. I will give of my energy. I will give of me for the sake of helping them. Why? Because that's the gospel. How can the person say, I believe that the creator of everything, the creator of all, looks towards me and says, I love you and I sacrifice for you. How can I believe that that about my creator and not be willing to replicate it for others? You know, our culture is about to take a big turn in the upcoming months. And politics, with all the beef that's about to coming up, I know it's not going to be any different than it was a few years ago. Will you love others who don't agree with you? Will you love others who don't do something for you? Will you love others the way that God's loved you? See, because we're all going to be picking our sides very soon. We're all going to be putting up our signs, putting up our colors, doing all the hoorah, and it's, it's okay. But not at the cost of not loving others. One of the most godly things that a person can do is love someone that they don't agree with. Because that's what God does towards you. God loves you, even though you don't agree with him. God sees your sin, and sees you carrying it out, and says to you, I still want to clean you, even though you think I'm an idiot. May we be people who live in that form of pure lifestyle, that regardless of what the conversation is about, regardless of how stupid we think the people are, We would lead with love, not hate, not divisiveness. May that be the posture in our homes, knowing that the greatest evidence of your connection to Jesus is that you will pursue to love like Jesus. That's what this passage is telling us. If you have no capacity to love, if you can't imagine yourself caring for someone else, it's because you really don't know God. You don't know him. And you need to come to grips with that within your heart. If everybody around you is just a different kind of idiot, (laughs) it's probably because you yourself have not engaged with who God really is and who he says of you. And he wants to purify you of that. He wants to allow for you to live in a way that distributes pure love. Not love in hopes to get something from somebody. Not love as a business exchange. Not love because you just want to make yourself seem awesome. But love from a pure place. Wouldn't this world be beautiful if that happened? Just know that it's what God's trying to do here. Don't get in the way of it. Now, there's something else here. Because we are talking a lot about purity. And we are talking a lot about God's involvement. Uh, but, but throughout scripture, we're also shown a beautiful symbol of Purity. A beautiful symbol of God's involvement and God's willingness to say, At one point, you are not clean. At one point, you were covered in tar. At one point, you were covered in something that you could not do something about. And yet, still, I will come and purify you. And that way, that symbol of purification is something that we're celebrating here today. See, we're celebrating baptism today. We are celebrating dozens of people who have said, I love Jesus. I will follow Jesus. I will live for Jesus. I will be about Jesus. And the scripture tells us that that next step for that kind of person is to take the step of baptism. Because baptism is a symbol to the world of the purification of Jesus in your life. And it's a symbol because what it is is you step into there dry as a bone. You step in that thing with no water on you. And for some teenagers, no water has been on you in a long time. It's probably your first bath for some of you guys in a little (laughs) while. We actually tell, hey, make sure you shower before you come get baptized. Oh, really? Why? Yeah. But they step into this water. The beautiful picture and the beautiful symbol of this is they get taken down under the water. At one point, they had no water on them. And now when they come down, they come up covered in the purifying work of Jesus Christ, the pure water of who he is. That water, that baptism doesn't save them. That doesn't cause them to now be pure because they got baptized. No, 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 no. They're getting baptized because they're saved. They're pure because they're saved, not because of that water. And there are some of you here There's some of you here who you say, yes, I do love Jesus. Jesus has done the work in your life of purifying your soul. You have turned your life over to Christ. You have said to Jesus, yes, I, you are my God. You have been rescued by your King and your God. But you haven't taken the step of baptism. We want to give you the opportunity today. We have shorts, we have shirts, we have everything you would need If you have the heart to be baptized today. When we start our song of worship, you'll be able to get up and you can go to the back and we'll take you and we'll have a pastor talk with you, pray with you, answer your questions, do all that we need to do to help you get baptized today. There's some of you in this room who you don't know Jesus. You might've come today because you're trying, you've realized, oh my gosh, I have tar all over me. I am dirty, I am in need of rescuing, let me go and clean it myself at church. You can't, you can't do the work yourself. Like my original story, you need an outside source to bring forth the purification. You need the one who is pure, you need the one who is good, Jesus Christ himself, you need him so you can be pure. So he can clean your soul, so he can remove your sin and free you to live a life that you dreamed of living your whole life. I want to give you that invitation today to put your trust in Jesus, to open yourself to Christ. And when we close with this song of worship, if you are saying, man, I want to put my trust in Jesus today for the first time, you make your way to the back. We'll pray with you. We will talk with you. If you want to get baptized, you can get baptized today. We have everything you need. So with all that said, let me go ahead and close this in prayer, and then we'll jump into worship. Lord, we thank you so much for the way that you love us. Lord, we thank you for the involvement that you have in our lives. God, I thank you, Lord, for the way that you do not allow the grossness of our sin to keep us from knowing you or experiencing you. God, I thank you for the beauty of life in you, and joy in you, and forgiveness in you, and being purified in you. God, may the people of this church believe that, Lord, that you are the one who sets us free, that you are the one who cleans us, that you are the one who loves us enough to do the work to wipe this horrible sin off of us. Lord, please free us here. Free us from guilt, free us from shame, And bring us to a place where we see our need for you and enjoy the purification that you give us, Lord, the purifying of our souls. God, may we close this service by genuinely celebrating you, enjoying you, because we are free in you. We are pure in you because you are good. Jesus, we love you. In your incredible name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources,